thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up for a Chat, about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. Karen Smith's not here. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And welcome, welcome to this week. Our beautiful girl sent us a message today about this podcast. Cindy and I are on the road. We've been asked a number of questions around pregnancy, babies, breastfeeding, microbiome. And it seemed ironic that Miss Karen wasn't with us, really. So she was quite happy not to be a part of this discussion and, in fact, sent us this beautiful reason as to why she's not with us. Yeah, she said, I have a problem with Sunday because we were going to record on Sunday as it is the Bali bombing anniversary and I have a special day planned and it's pretty sacred to me. So would you and Kimmy like to go ahead and record without me? So we kind of thought, well, the cat's away, the mouse will play. <laughs> and she won't want to talk about this anyway. She'll be just going, oh, thank goodness I don't have to do this. <laughs> She'd be gagging, I think. She'd be totally gagging. <laughs> so you're stuck with just the two of us. And I figured because Cindy has so much knowledge around this and the mother of three beautiful children and a stepdaughter and me with two babies that we could actually share our experiences around what we ate during pregnancy, what we did during pregnancy, maybe even around conception, um, because I did a whole protocol and cleanse prior to, to falling pregnant, so I really planned all of mine. And oh, I think I had a good party, oh, actually. Were you in New Year's? Did you have any September babies? <laughs> no, no September babies. <laughs> but you're a September baby. I am a September baby. I'm a new, I think I was a Christmas Eve baby. My mum and dad hadn't seen each other for three weeks. <laughs> Don't you love it? Yeah. Um, so, sweetheart, tell me. With your knowledge and the things that you've done throughout your life, and obviously with your whole philosophy around vitalism, how did you approach pregnancy, and was it planned? What did you do around the whole concept of it? Well, I um, like we when we got married, we were still in school and university, and so we didn't want children while we we're going through university, and that was an, another a real issue because I didn't want to go on the pill either, so. I went and did the Billings method. I actually learned all about the Billings method, and there are so many better methods now. It's it's just unbelievable. There's baby, um, maybe baby. There's Overcue. There's Francesca Nash's book. There's so many out there now regarding natural fertility, and that's conception and contraception. So for the most part, we wanted contraception during that time, and then when we decided to have our first child it was just the last year of school basically we thought right by the time we get out of university it's time to start having babies and so it was just a matter of well I don't have to worry about where my cycle is or anything like that and just just enjoy and and I always prepared well with food anyway I was always eating well but I did go out and party on occasion and I do remember a couple of babies coming from a party (laughs) explain to us all exactly what a Cindy O'Meara party looks like. Because mm. I'm not sure if it's the same as the rest of us. So what's your interpretation of partying, Miss Cindy? Well, I might have one drink mm. and then I drink waters for the rest of the night. Legless. <laughs> Absolutely legless. I just, I don't understand the whole being alcohol fueled. I, I like one drink, maybe two but it's never more than two. I can tell you that now. And, and it's never got Cokes and lemonades in it, I, that's for sure. And 
So what is your, just on that note, what is your chosen poison, as they say? Yeah, just a spirit, mm. um, and usually on ice. Mm. So I like brandy, I like whiskey on occasion, um, and sometimes a vodka. Uh, my brother loves Armanac and Cognac, mm-hmm. so I will enjoy cognac. one. Cognac. I know, I say it wrong all the time. I love the way she says Aww. it. Cognac. Cognac. Um, one of the most... It's like I'm so uncouth, aren't I? It's like saying Champagne. It's like, or, you know, or Cardinet. Yeah, Cardinet. Cardinet. <laughs> What's your thoughts around people drinking when they're pregnant? Well, I, I believe that you have another person's life within you that will want to live a fulfilling, healthy life. And so I think it's our responsibility as a mother, and I think the fathers are into this. This is part of the father as well, that we we take that sacred job, I guess it is, and really think about it. Because I, as a pregnant woman, who had the young girl inside of me, has the eggs for that generation after her as well. So it's not only me that I have to worry about, but it's my grandchildren that are going to be changed in some way as a result of what I do to my body while I'm pregnant. So we have three generations that we have to look after when we are pregnant, especially if there's a female that you are nurturing within you. And people don't get that. They don't realise the responsibility of that. So I questioned everything. So I was, I questioned, back in those days it was just ultrasounds and I chose not to have ultrasounds. And now it's glucose tolerance tests and ultrasounds and I don't know if they're doing any more tests because... Amniocentesis you can do? Yeah, you can do amniocentesis and you could do that back then but it's not routine. Mm. So as far as routine tests go, and I was looking up, the, the ingredients of the glucose tolerance test. And what, what would make you want to have that test, or why do they make it part of routine now? Well, because of gestational diabetes and um, the harm that it will do to the baby if you do have gestational diabetes. But in, in my way of thinking, if you're eating well and not eating bad foods, and you can actually test your own sugar levels, your blood sugar levels, you can go and buy a $20 kit from the pharmacy now, and you can actually do tests in the morning to see what your blood glucose is like. And really, you know, we should be advocates for our own health. We should take responsibility for our own health. We should understand everything because it's no use blaming when everything's gone wrong and you have a child that's not as healthy as it could be because we didn't take that responsibility. Instead, we put the responsibility into the hands of someone who thinks differently than a vitalist. They think very mechanistically. And Kim and I, you know, this morning we were sitting together and... Cindy actually stayed the night. We had a sleepover. We did have a sleepover. I just just didn't want to put in that, oh, we were in bed together. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, dear. But we were. I did have a sleepover because her husband's away and my husband's away. And while they're away, we did play. (laughs) So we had a sleepover and then we, we woke up in the morning and Kim opened up a new book that she's been reading. And it was a vitalist's book. It was a book about how medicine looks at life very differently than a vitalist. So they're very mechanistic. They look at the component parts. So they may look at a plant and go, well, that part of that plant is what we need in order to create a drug. And we can patent drugs and we can make money off these drugs. But in actual fact, if you so just take the plant... copy that yeah. component 
and then patent it and then create this drug that's now worth a fortune by taking just one part of the plant. It was fantastic reading it, it, it with you. It was, wasn't it? Mm. And then, But then when you extract the oil from the plant but not all the other components, then they're, beca- they're called essential oils, which are, are Kim's baby and what she does all her research on. He was talking about the potency and the power of these oils. It was really interesting, wasn't it? And I think what was fascinating, like talking about pregnancy and stuff, I used essential oils all through my pregnancy and and really enjoyed what they gave to me throughout, you know, whether I had morning sickness or a lower back pain or swelling of the hands and feet. I used my oils constantly the whole way through my pregnancy. So when I read literature that says you know, shouldn't be used during pregnancy. And I have people phone me saying, oh, I've been told I shouldn't use essential oils at all during pregnancy and things like that. I kind of go, wow, but you're happy to take a Nurofen or you're happy to take antibiotics or you're happy to sniff petrol when you're standing there filling up your petrol tank. And, and they're allowed to have chemotherapy when they're pregnant. Yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a new well, thing. Yeah. I, and it's, I'm not knocking it in the sense that I'm not trying to stand here as some hero and say, oh, my God, I can't believe you do that. If we knew better, we'd do better. But but I just stand there and sometimes have a little chuckle to myself that people actually say to me, oh, my gosh, can I actually use your oils? Can I put three drops into my lasagna I'm making? And, you know, I just think if you looked at the flavouring constituents in the in the flavoring world there's nothing natural about these flavors yet these are pure plant extracts so you know what we were discovering this morning and what I loved about this book and for those of you that are pregnant or considering pregnancy it's when you find someone that's in the same wavelength as you and and you start conversing in the same language it just you feel like your tribe is around you and I felt that this morning I said to Cindy oh my gosh listen to this it's exactly what you say about food but it's talking about the vitalism of essential oils and with science in behind it Um, so from a pregnancy point of view um, I just want to get back to what you were saying about you did you think like you shouldn't eat cheese and that you shouldn't eat you know smoked fish or you know things that we're told these days that are like really nasty and scary I, I never thought about those things, did you? And I'm not that long away from having my... I mean, I've got a 15 and a 16-year-old, but... No, I, I... There was not those guidelines back in the 20... Like, 20 years ago. That They just weren't there, though, those guidelines. Um, so you could eat anything that you wanted. There wasn't, don't eat soft cheeses, don't eat chicken. And, and the problem with that is the listeria and infection. The, the whole thing about the diet that they advise is all based on this, the scare tactics of bacteria and viruses and things like that. But if you have a healthy immune system, then you should be able to handle most of these. And, in, and if you do have a bug that creates a problem in your body, your body will deal with it by you vomiting or having diarrhea, which will last a day or two. The thing is, is that we don't look at the intelligence of the body. And I think back now, Kim, through my pregnancy... And I didn't use oils, and I wish I'd known you then, because I would have loved to have used oils back then. I don't even know if I used perfume back then. I think I was a real, um, yeah, a bit of a hippie. I didn't use a lot of a lot of things, but I must have used a moisturiser. But to me, I... But I bet you used the oils in another way, in the sense that you probably loved lots of fresh herbs, and you yes. loved probably using, um, you know, beautiful products on your skin that you knew like coconut oil or just plant you probably were very plant focused without even realizing it 
Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I, I think back and I go, I wish I could remember what products I had in my bathroom. But I know that I was very aware because uh, my mum had made me aware. You know, she she always had natural everything around her. So as far as the food goes and what kind of diet should you have through pregnancy, you do not eat for two. That is just a myth. You eat as your body tells you. Our body has the unbelievable ability and and no one believes this because what happens is that we eat crap food and the body loses its ability to tell you what to eat and how to eat you have an intu- intuition when you start eating well and you get pregnant you will have an intuition as to what to eat and how much to eat and you'll have insulin and ghrelin and leptin and you'll have these amazing hormones orchestrating when to be hungry and when not to be hungry, what to eat, giving you those cravings. And if you're eating well, your body will give you the right cues. If you're not eating well, it won't. So my thing is get going long before pregnancy. Get you know, get these cues running well before pregnancy. And then uh, while you're pregnant, your body will, will tell you. It's just beautiful. And I don't change my diet, whether I'm breastfeeding or I'm pregnant or whether I'm preconception, I, I never changed my diet. It always stayed with real foods. But these days, when women are breastfeeding, there are so many issues that we have now. And there are so many problems with our babies not being able to tolerate some of the foods that we're consuming. And the, re- the reason they can't tolerate it is because we have leaky guts, we have poor microbiomes, and as a result of the leaky gut and the poor microbiome, uh, we are passing the microbiome onto our children, and we're going to talk about that through the birthing yeah, I really process. Want to get into that. Yeah, because it's really, really important that people understand this. So um, we're passing on not only our genetics, but our epigenetics, and more importantly, our epigenetics which in turn is creating a group of children who have intolerances to almost everything. And so I, do you think it's because of the mother that these children are being born with intolerances? Mother and father. Mother and father. Grandmother and grandfather. It's not just our mother. So wow. if I look back at my grandmother's era, so she would be over 100 now, if I look back at her era, we probably were just in the beginning of the chemical revolution. So what she passed down to my mother and then my mother passed to me I may be affected by my grandmother but I'm pretty strong so my assumption is is that my grandma had a a really good immune system and a good microbiome and and so did my mum because they just there weren't drugs around then but let's look at the grandmother of today so the grandmother of today could possibly be around 40 or 50 would I be right? so I'm the mother and beyond and she then passes her microbiome and that was the beginning of antibiotics and the beginning of births in hospitals, the beginning of sterilization, the beginning of cesarean sections being greater and greater and greater. You know, the, the rate of cesarean sections in, in some hospitals around Australia is 30%. In some hospitals in other countries, it's sometimes 95%. So, And this is from a movie that I've just watched, an amazing documentary called microbirth and microbirth is all centered around the birthing process and the seeding of the microbiome and the scientists on this on this um, microbirth documentary are saying 
that we have one chance, and this is what scared me, we have one chance to see the microbiome, and the microbiome being all the bacteria from the mouth to the anus, through the vagina, into the ear canals, any orifice you have or any warm spot you have, you have a microbiome. So on your skin, you know, we, you, know you talk about that, mm. the importance of the ecology of the skin. So what it's saying is if we, we have one chance to do it, and if we don't do it, then we are fighting against um, a, core, a, a problem that affects the immune system, affects the health of the child, affects the child being able to digest food properly, affects the child being able to have the energy that it needs against obesity. So in my way of thinking, I believe this is part of the problem, not the whole problem, but it's a big slice of the problem. So what they're saying is that um, vaginal births are the best. That's the first time that the baby will start to get the bacteria of the mother. And the reason why the vagina and the anus are so close, you, you know what Karen will be doing right now, oh, don't no, you? I know. Yeah. I was just thinking, thank God she's thank not here. goodness she's not here. <laughs> she may not even listen to this. No, I <laughs> So because they're so close is that a couple of days before you start to give birth and the body knows that this is happening, it's preparing. So... There, there is a change in the microbiome in the, the vaginal area. So as the baby comes through, that's its first contact. It takes it on the mouth, through the mouth, you know, because that's why we come through that way, on through the skin. Then the next thing is to put the baby on the skin, skin to skin. Do not take the baby anywhere else. So straight from being birthed onto the skin and to the breast. And then what happens from the breast milk is that there is immunological factors, bacterias, the microbiome of the mother is kept be, being seeded non-stop. Mm. It's just unbelievable. So the breast milk helps with that. And what they're now saying is that they always wondered why there was so much sugar in, in breast milk. There's also a lot of fat in breast milk. Are you but talking about the colostrum then very first? All through, colostrum right through. More, the colostrum's got more fat, but... The breast milk has quite a lot of sugar. But do you know what? The, sugar, the baby can't digest the sugar. Do you know what the sugar's for? It's a special type of sugar, and this sugar is to feed the healthy microbiome. Wow. Yeah. It's, it, like, when you watch this documentary, I think it's brilliant. It goes for... It? Well, it's online, but I've tried to download it. It comes out of England. Now, it's just come online, 20th of September. I tried to download it in Australia, and my brother has tried to download it in Australia. We can't seem to do it. So I have actually emailed Tony, who's the producer and um, the person who had the whole idea about this, and I've said to her, why cannot, in Australia, we download it? You can buy it. Oh, okay. You can buy the DVD, but it comes, I guess it comes out of the UK. But for some reason, I, from her site, which is uh, microbirth. org maybe Maybe just google it yeah just google it and look it's a fascinating absolutely fascinating if I was a midwife or a a, a birth support person or something like that I'd really or someone who was pregnant or looking to be pregnant I'd be very much looking up movies like that well the beautiful Mel Kent who um, now is the coach on my healthy living club here's a, a beautiful young lady who had not been taught well about diet had 60 kilos extra on her and made the decision that she was going to get rid of it and and 
came across my program, my protocol, the four-phase fat elimination protocol, and over the, a 12-month period lost that 60 kilos. Person, oh, so I know. And she was told she would never be able to have another child naturally because she had PCOS. She had ultrasounds on her ovaries and she had 54 cysts in one ovary, I think she said, and 40-something in the other. And sorry, Mel, if I've got the facts not quite right, but I know it was huge numbers. And she did the protocol. She rang me up one day and she goes, it's your fault I'm pregnant. I said, I don't think so, Mel. I think your husband may have had something to do with that one. And she said, I thought I was told I was infertile and I'm now pregnant. So what was interesting is that she did have an ultrasound because she'd had so many ectopic pregnancies and so many problems that she decided to have an ultrasound. She, I, I, I believe if she'd had one or two or none, I can't remember the exact number, but it was so minimal because they took um, ultrasounds of her ovaries as well and all the cysts had disappeared. So she no longer had PCOS, no polycystic ovarian syndrome anymore. So the body can heal oh, quite extraordinarily. The body is amazing. And she knows that's from real foods. Yeah. And she's a testament as to her whole thinking changed about you know, birth and the importance of it. And she had her last baby as a free birth. That means that she was home alone with her husband and children. And they birthed that baby we together. Photos. We I were know. together. We were, weren't we? It was just one of the most special times. I was, you know, I just think it was, it was proud brilliant. Aunties. Yeah, we were proud aunties. But I sent her um, the nine-minute clip of microbirth. I said, I think you'll really think find this in, really interesting. And she decided to um, do a public showing of microbirth, and she got eighty-five people from Townsville to come to this public viewing of microbirth on the 20th of September this year. She now is a force for change. She wants to get it into hospitals. So, you know, you said this is good for midwives. She wants it in, in hospitals because not only did they talk about vaginal births, but they also talked about how can we fake a vaginal birth in a cesarean section. So You mean if someone... Because that was my question to you. I'm sure whilst there's a lot of people that elect Caesars... Mm. You know, but when there's a matter of life and death, you are going to elect for a season, no matter what. Is there a way that you can actually create that same microbiome on the baby and the mother? Yes, yeah, and that, that's what they've they've come up with. So this is what they're doing at the moment. Is and and as we know better, we will do better. So um, if there is a cesarean section coming before any drugs administered to the mother, because the drugs affect the microbiome. What happens is that they get some gauze and they concentrate it in um, its folding and they s insert it into the, the vagina of the mother. While she's in labour? While she's in labour, before the drugs are given at caesarean section. So if it's an emergency caesarean section, then it's quick. Um, it's quick. But if it's not an emergency and it's been elected because there's been two other caesareans or whatever reason there is for this is the process that happens. So they insert it in, I think it's for 40 minutes to an hour. They take it out and they put it into a sterile jar. Not a sterile jar that's got antibacterial washers or anything like that in, but one that's been heated. They put it in the jar. Then the mother is given any medications or drugs that she may need in order to have a cesarean section. Then as the baby comes through the skin, the gauze is laid over the baby. 
and the baby is pulled out through the gauze basically oh. and onto the gauze and the gauze stays on the on the baby then the baby goes straight to the skin skin to skin onto the mother it's not whipped away or anything like that it goes skin to skin to the mother and then breastfeeding that's weird because in caesareans, and forgive me if I'm wrong here, but whenever I've seen them on um, <laughs> One Born Every Minute, I watch that with my daughter all the time, um, with a caesarean, the mother is blocked off from seeing anything. Yeah. She, she, there's a big screen there. So why do they do that? Is it because the mother might freak if she sees herself being cut open? Well, I think I'd freak. Well, I think I would too. Yeah, she feels the pulling apparently yeah. and the tugging, but... Why, how do you do that then in a caesarean situation? Because I've all, the only time I've ever seen things like that is that they end up whipping the baby away and wiping it down with a towel and, and wrapping it all up before the mother's even had a chance. But we did what we knew then. But that's still happening today. Yes, it is. And th- but that's what microbirth is all about. Oh. Microbirth is an education tool oh. to, first of all, maybe start with our, um, our beautiful midwives that uh, are thinking differently and then get it into the hospital system as well. So Mel has this thing where she wants to uh, get this into the hospitals in Townsville. So here's one woman, one young woman in her 20s, with an absolute passion to change the face of how we do things at birth in order to birth children who have the ability to be healthy without food intolerances, without immune system problems so we're beginning we're, well, we're I, learning I more and we're beginning thing, Cindy, is that this may not be you know foolproof in the sense that it will stop anything and everything ever occurring bad to your child but it is definitely on the preventative and the proactive and the vitalistic way of doing things so I, because things can still go wrong with people with vaginal births as well as far as allergies and things like that but that would be another situation again wouldn't it is that then based what causes a child to have a peanut allergy, for instance, or a baby to come into the world that's covered in eczema all the time? What's your thoughts around what causes that? Well, I, I really think it's the exposures that we are now, um, or the chemicals we are now exposed to, the epigenetics, the, the whole, the, this whole world that we live in. We have to be strong in order to handle it, and if we're not strong, we don't handle it well at all. We've lost our robustness. And my belief is, is if we can do as many things as we possibly can to improve the robustness of our children that are now being born, then humanity may have a chance of doing a little bit better than what we're doing right now. So I look at my brother and my sister-in-law. So they've just had um, their, their oldest is three and their youngest is 11 weeks. And their firstborn was in a hospital, um, but doing the best that they could. Their second born was a free birth at home, just the two of them, Nelson watching on. But both of those children, even though I know what Susanna did, she did everything right and so did my brother. They worked together, preconception, conception, pregnancy. What Susanna does, Marcus does. Although I do notice Marcus will have a coffee and Susanna every now and then just has a little nibble. It's so cute. <laughs> it's so cute. That's probably, you know, all right. And the Armanac and the Cognac, right? Okay, all right. Oh, what is it? Cognac. 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 Not just... class beer grills. <laughs> no class whatsoever. No oh, class. Take it to Champagne. <laughs> <laughs> a Cardinet. Oh, have a Cardinet. 
Uh, I should have been. Sauvignon Blanc. Oh. Um, <laughs> you know, it's something that's just come to me with the book we were reading this morning. We are assaulting our senses in such a violent way. One thing that you, I always ask people, do you think smell, we're born with a sense of smell or do you think that we learn smell? And I always have different people respond in different ways. And most people think it's both. We're born with a sense of smell and we learn it. And that is actually the correct answer. But you think about this, and I've never said this before. A lot of young women having babies nowadays, you know, the, the smell of birth, there's nothing nasty about the smell of birth. It is, it is very um, raw, without a doubt. For those of you that have been there, done that, you will know. But if you're in a hospital, there's a very clinical smell as well with all the disinfectants. If you're at home or you've got your oils now, I will say that my husband illegally put the vaporizer on under the bed because I so desperately wanted the oils in the room because I couldn't actually stand the smell of the hospital that I had my children in. So um, I didn't think about the light, the flame with the oxygen tanks. <laughs> yeah, so let's just say that. Oh, thank um, goodness there are electric so, electricity ones now. <laughs> yes, there's beautiful diffusers you can take into hospital now. And we've now got them online, actually, and I've noticed a number of people that are pregnant are really stunned, and I would encourage you to get these diffusers because they are phenomenal to have in the birth room, particularly if you are choosing a hospital birth. But I want you to think about, Cindy, the creams, the deodorants, the perfume that mothers wear. You are, in a way, robbing that beautiful child the chance to really explore smell. And the smell that they become so primarily attuned and tuned into is the mother. I know myself, you know, if, you've, if you're breastfeeding, but you put your breast to another baby... Um, that's not yours that baby will be confused there's not that instant you know the mouth wide open get me on there um, I understand the, the the chance that sometimes we have to nurse other children and what do they call that when um, you um, um, wet nurse wet nurse I understand and I think that's even fantastic from a point of view if you can't breastfeed or if you've got someone in your tribe that can and I don't actually hear very much of wet nursing these days anyway but what I'm just suggesting to those of you that are thinking of having a baby, maybe stop wearing perfume. Stop wearing these strong-smelling chemical deodorants and allow your body odour. I'm not saying you have to smell of BO, but you can use baking soda and a beautiful, soft, subtle essential oil as your perfume. Um, because when that baby is born, the smell is one of its most primal senses that we do not pay attention to very much in this day and age and I loved his analogy in that book this morning where we think entertainment is watching blood guts and accidents and fighting on the big screen as entertainment but when he said throw in the smell of that would you find it as entertaining that blew me away in the sense that we do not pay attention to smell the way we should have so our odor of the body is very important and I think just as important because if you think about it smell is so closely linked to our emotions so if the, I've been privileged Cindy to be at six births and, and two of my own obviously but the six births that I was a support person in I used the oils with that mother with that pregnancy and also for the father I'll add because sometimes the father's freaked out as well so I would use calming oils or I would ask when one birth in particular 
the mother was actually, I think she was going to deck him um, because of the pain she was in. I actually gave him a drop of, of essential oils of lavender and lime on a tissue, which was a happy but calming blend. And I just said, look, go and get yourself a cup of coffee. You're sniffing this. And left her with me. And I spritzed her and I used oils on her lower back and things like that. Jasmine is the most extraordinary oil to use during labor. So I would use the oils like that. But when those babies were born the smell that we had was just the subtle aroma essential oils that was with the mother and I just I don't know and without even realizing it Cindy but back then I realized that was my little way of creating a vitalistic birth in a very um, sterile environment Um, intuitively that's what I felt was the right thing to do so I'm just suggesting for those of you that are pregnant and, and looking to having babies please make sure you don't think that it's important that you don't smell or that you should have deodorant on while you're birthing. I I would actually take it with the food. I would also look at the smell as one of the most primal senses that we could help that child to be in touch with from the moment it's born. Um, And therefore, as it's growing, you may find that you won't want to use those chemicals. You know, Danny and I were given so many products. Bless all these beautiful people that sent us gifts because Danny was a well-known cricketer and of course our stories were in the magazines and as a part of that people would send us gifts and I I just I I didn't know you back then when I gave birth Cindy but I was very much aware of chemicals in skin products and I didn't even give them to the Salvation Army because I didn't want other people to have to use them and that might sound really bad but I actually felt products like those well-known baby products should be binned um, I don't think we should be putting those near, these petroleum mineral-based products near our babies. So for me, it was very important that the sense of smell, because of how we feel, um, those oils and, and natural and food and all of that, it was very important to me back then, um, as well as obviously eating well. And that, that's not just preconception, conception, birth, uh, or pregnancy, birth, but it's also after birth as well, because as we're breastfeeding, our babies and I know there are some people who cannot breastfeed babies but if you prepare properly with food and do everything the best you can then the likelihood of you being able to successfully breastfeed is far greater than if you have not prepared and the greatest thing that we can do is get the microbiome working in the human body so that a lot there's a lifetime of health not a lifetime of sickness and so it's really important not, you know, we, we think about pre-birth, birth and all this, but it's it's all throughout. And would you say, I mean, just my thoughts on this, if someone's listening and they're like, oh my gosh, I haven't paid attention, but I'm six months pregnant. My thoughts are, it's never too late. No. Start now. Start now, You know, yeah. even if you've given birth, if your children are three years old, if they're five years old. I mean, look at Mel. She changed her whole life from one pregnancy to another in the way gosh there's a picture she put on Facebook oh I know it's a picture of a very morbidly obese woman holding a baby with chocolate all over its face and then there's a picture of this exquisite being which is Mel holding a baby um, very very slim and she sent it to me because it's got on there the ban the heart tick approval you know because she's fighting there I sent her a message saying oh sweetheart I don't think you should post that Um, and she came back why why I said, oh, darling, the woman in the top picture would be mortified to think she'd been compared to someone as beautiful as you. <laughs> and she came back, oh, you silly doof, it's me. I, I honestly did not realise. I didn't recognise no, her. I didn't realise the pre-person was actually, that's how different she looked and yeah. how, 
I'm just the word microbiome for me is like I'm sure the microbiome and that being compared to that being you know the before and after would be completely different do you therefore my question to you is this you have the ability to change your microbiome and rebuild it and you can do that instantly as in like you can instantly start repairing it can you you know if you if you watch the the, the, birth, uh, the documentary Microbirth, they said you have one chance to seed it properly. I, and I'm hoping that that is not the truth. I'm hoping that we can repair. So these are the things that we do know is that bone broths um, are a wonderful way of giving yourself a, an amazing amount of nutrition and feeding a healthy microbiome. Uh, fermented foods is another way so sauerkrauts and kimchis and kombuchas and um, yogurts and kefirs and cultured cheeses and there are fermented foods everywhere so these are are ways that we we know that we can reseed it but what's really interesting and I think it was in microbirth I read this or maybe or watch this or something else like it's all microbiome at the moment. It's just stunning what we know about the microbiome. So what they're, they're saying um, now is that the microbiome actually tells you what to eat. It has the ability. So if you have a really healthy microbiome, it will ask for the foods that will make it live, such as um, proteins, good quality proteins, meats, fish, chickens, um, um, you know, any wild meats, it will ask for vegetables, it will ask for fruit, it will ask for all of the, the real foods. If you have an unhealthy microbiome, it will send to the brain for you to eat sugar and refined foods because that's what keeps it alive. So they're actually seeing this. They're, you mean there's like you could have two, could there be two personalities? Yeah. Two two characters of microbiome? Well, there are. there are. There are different strains. Some are pathologically pathological and some are, um, are nurturing to us. And we live in a symbiotic relationship. As long as the pathological ones do not grow past what they should be and they're kept under control. And, and we just have them there. They're always working symbiotically together. As long as it's not out of control, then you, your food choices will be different. So, for instance, in autism, um, many children who have autism or Asperger's like only certain foods and they won't have a variety of foods. And what Natasha, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride has, has pointed out is that it's the microbiome asking those people to eat more of those foods in order for them to survive. So they want to live, the microbiome, the unhealthy microbiome wants to live. They're also finding, this is more information that we now know about the importance of the microbiome, is that in certain diseases, one of the bacteria in the microbiome is completely out of control, which may present as rheumatoid arthritis, which may present as, as some other disorder. It's just fascinating what they're now figuring out. So it really is your gut is a brain, well, isn't it? Well, it is. The, the, there's you know there's a TED video that says yeah. the gut in your brain. It's actually in my education course. We actually talk about it because we are one tenth of the genetics of our microbiome. So wow. they're ninety percent of us. So they do more biochemical reactions. They're making more vitamins. They're making more decisions about our body than we're making about our body. Well, our cells are making about our body. And we, are, we must live in this symbiotic relationship because if you do not have a microbiome, you're dead. If it doesn't have you, it's dead. So it wants to keep you alive 
um, but there are some that are pathological that need a different type of nutrition to the ones that are non-pathological. Uh, it's look, it's oh, what we now I know. If bipolar microbiome. One minute it's really good, and then you pig out and you lose it, and you end up going off the wagon, and all of a sudden the other one's in. Well, they're actually looking at that as well. Is that the the dysbiosis of the microbiome could possibly be affecting our thoughts, affecting how we feel about the world, and what we see about the world around us? It's. But that's, that's so obvious. It is obvious I, I when we now look at it. I know. Yeah. Because when you think about it, when I've eaten something really bad. I'm negative. I don't feel. I mean, I don't know if I'm negative, a horrible person, but I. Well, maybe I am. Maybe I don't realise it. But, but the thing, the reality is, you don't feel great. Your tummy's bloated, or you've got irritation, or you've got a headache, a, ha- a food hangover. Like seriously, it, it is your body's way. We are so disassociated and disconnected, aren't we? Yeah. But what's exciting about science is it's teaching us what we should have known as common sense, anyway. But this is what our tribal yeah. ancestors. Were they were in touch yeah, with. They were, but they didn't have the the packaged foods in the grocery stores, and the marketing and advertising that made us eat these types of foods. And you know, in the beginning, I don't think anybody really realised that this is where we would be. Um, so breakfast cereals started back in the twenties and thirties, and I'm sure so, I'm sure Dr. Kellogg's, even though he had some weird ideas, didn't believe that his cereals may be part of the growing epidemic that is now associated with obesity, um, food allergies. You know, he, I'm sure he didn't start like that. But now that we know better, let's stop this. You know, it's like the Heart Foundation tick of approval. They're, we're trying in Australia for people who are living overseas and don't know what's happening, but there is a cry for the, for the, the stopping of this tick to breakfast cereals to foods like lean cuisine that have 50 chemicals in it as opposed to foods foods like muesli bars that have got 70% sugar in them that aren't even real sugar, it's wheat based sugars or corn based sugars so I, I think it's um, it, it's we're knowing better and the more science we do, the more we realise that the further we've gone away from our evolutionary culture and tradition, the more we are getting sicker and sicker It's almost Cindy like um, our intuition, our intuitiveness and our our spirit, if you like, our innate spirit and and the um, that part of us we can't touch, we almost have fallen in in and under the spell of science and the medical world and the and and doctors and I, and I'm not trying to disregard them, but I feel like we've almost it's almost like they found euphoria by looking down a microscope and, and could understand so many things, but they've forgotten or not wanted to focus anymore on just the magic, the spirit, the source, the the innate intelligence of, of what these cells are. And I'm not blaming them because I can imagine how excited you must be. I remember when we talked to Dr. Steve Myers, you know, your Mr. PhD. Uh, no, it was, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, PhD. Yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs> As you call him. Yeah, yeah I remember thinking... Um, Oh my gosh, like he actually really made me realise how exciting it must be to look down a microscope and see change and and chemical components, you know, reacting and and acting and all of that sort of jazz. I get that. But as an aromatherapist, and and this is what's really got me excited, and and probably why we're talking about this around pregnancy, is it is a miracle. Mm -hmm. It is a true miracle what the body does. I didn't think about conception. I didn't feel the moment 
the sperm met the egg and I was pregnant, I remember a metallic taste and I remember thinking, oh, what's that? And I felt like I'd been licking a balloon. And that was almost like the one sign that I got. And then my boobs got a bit sore. <laughs> what are you looking at me like that for laughing? Um, just the balloon taste. <laughs> what, you mean the fact that I know what that tastes like? No, 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 no. Just, just doesn't matter. I do remember that. I did a Kim Morrison. I just went somewhere oh, else. Oh, <laughs> oh, you, you tart. I just oh, did another Kim. I did a Kim oh, Morrison going. Oh, see, I haven't gone there. No. I don't know what those like, are like. I like a balloon taste. Mm. Really? Oh, really. <laughs> I was talking my five-year-old's birthday party blowing up a balloon, Oh, that actually. one. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, anyway. Oh my god, I did a Kim Morrison. Oh my god, just you taught me. I have been well. You taught me well. Oh my god. Sorry. But, but what I'm just trying to say is that you know, you scientists out there, you intellects, you PhDs, you beautiful, amazing academics, please, please, for the sake of us that aren't, don't knock our intelligence or intuition or calling or desire to know more about the unknown or more about. The possibility of that we cannot explain some things. There's just sometimes there must be things that that plants, animals, nature, things happen that surely we cannot scientifically explain, and yet we are the benefiter of. Yeah. And is there anything wrong with that? You know, like when we say a mother's intuition, mm. you know, a I gut know, feeling, a gut intuition, mm. and I know sometimes, you know, we shouldn't trust that sometimes because sometimes you want, you do need you know a brain intuition and you need logic and those sorts of things but as a mother who's falling pregnant I mean for me personally when Danny and I decided to have children we were the same Cindy he was playing international cricket when we were married and we decided not to have children until he finished so we waited five years to have our babies and I remember when we made the decision now you've got to remember for those of you listening to this I didn't know Cindy around here this time in my life I was on a real personal journey on this and I wasn't someone who was really sick that decided then she had to get healthy remember I came from an athlete's point of view so I was interested in how the body worked which was my focus and intention behind looking to health and wellness and what the body needed so I had been on the pill I'd been on the pills since I was a young teenager you know I was a teenager um, and one of the things that I was told to go on the pill for was to help with my periods. Now, I didn't really, looking back, have that bad of periods, but for some reason the doctor just thought it would be good. And I didn't know anything about this. So I took his advice, and he said, oh, it's only a very small amount of hormones, you know, and it's it's been proven for years. It's been around since the, the 60s, 50s, whatever. And I don't know, everything he said, with my knowledge at that time, sounded okay, even though I felt a bit funny about taking this little pill. Anyway, so by the time it came to me wanting babies, I have to be honest with you, Cindy, that's the time where I actually really looked at my body and went, what the hell have I been doing? Because I started reading and researching, mm. and Francesca Nash, 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 Nash. Oh, Nash. I always say Nash, Nash. No, yeah. you're right, Nash. Francesca her Nash. book was the book I was, was reading. It? So her book was the one that taught me all about understanding my... Um, my mucuses, my membranes, my ovulation, the understanding of by the moon and all of this. I'd mm. never even even entertained what that was about. All I'd known was to take this pill. So that opened a whole world to me and Danny. And I would read it every night with him. 
and I'm sure sometimes he fell asleep and would just occasionally say, oh, yeah, 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 that sounds good. Um, but it didn't matter. The fact that he was supporting me to find out about my body. So then the next thing, you know, uh-oh, Kim's on a diet. I, I'm the latest. I'm the, what does your dad say? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the victim well, of the of latest the, book my, my, my wife has read. Yeah, well, this was Danny's thoughts. <laughs> So the next one, and, and Dr. Sandra Cabot's book was now in my, the liver cleansing diet. So I said to Danny, we can't have a baby yet. And he went, really? And I went, no, we need to cleanse our bodies. We've been having, um, I've been on the pill and and you have been taking anti-inflammatories for your being a cricketer. And, and you've been told for years you've got a bad gut. And you've been taking Metamucil and you've been taking... Um, Bacillium husk, like we tried the natural things as well, but the doctors all said Metamucil was the thing. So, can you imagine from my point of view how freaked out I got when I realized well, here we were thinking we were healthy human beings and, and really conscious? We'd been sucked into the vortex of the medical world and believed that what we were doing was the best thing. Oh, and at that time, we were eating Olivio, which we were told by our doctor for Danny would be the best thing for him because it was a plant based fat, not a saturated fat. Which is so, margarine, by the way. Which is margarine. For people. Yeah, yeah, but we were margarine. told that it was, I just believed, and this is how ignorant I was, I just thought it was whipped olive oil. I thought, how clever. So I know this, I'm sorry, embarrassed almost to say it, but I'm sure some of you listening are with me on this. Um, anyway. No, we, was... we, we get into that, Kim. We, we get into the meme of what everyone is doing. And just because it's common doesn't mean it's right. I know. Or the truth. And this is what's scary. You're just going through that. Like we Both of us, I yes. think, think, God, I wish we knew more. Wish we knew what we knew now then. I know. Which is why I'm so grateful my children hear it all yes. from me. Yes. So, um, and not that I know it all by any means. In fact, the more I learn, the more I realize how dumb I really am or how much I don't know. Um, but you know I'm more also, than most people. Yeah, but I'm yeah. also excited with that because it opens up possibility, doesn't it? So, so you were, um, we're, we're at Sandra yes, Cabot now. So I, I did the liver cleansing <laughs> diet and Danny did as well, which yep. actually helped his candida. Oh, funny uh, that. Funny that. Um, so he stopped taking all these things and we were doing the liver cleansing. Then we, on our honeymoon, we went to England because he had a year in England playing for Lancashire County Cricket Club and, and then the Northern Lanx League. And while we were there, I was doing a course in um, homeobotanical therapy and counselling. I was trying to do everything I could to learn about life. And it was during that time that we met a naturopath who actually started telling us about... Um, so we were taking charcoal at one point. He made us take this charcoal, and it was to see how long it took to go through the system. So now all of a sudden I'm getting in touch with, oh, my gosh, actually what I poo. eat. Yes, <laughs> this was what fascinated me with poo, was to learn that what I eat actually does go through my body. I, it's not just something I put in my mouth and then something else something comes out, comes out, the, other out the other end. There's actually a whole lot of metabolic processes and biological processes that occur in between. And each one of those things that I put in my mouth had an effect on my body and that's where I started getting fascinated by it so then believe it or not within a month we were pregnant the following month I had that metallic taste in my mouth and that and balloon the taste. balloon ta- yeah big licking balloons <laughs> shut up <laughs> you're so naughty um anyway but what was exciting my darling is that then I was reading all about birth and how important the birth and the birth canal was with all that um well um, what's it called? The, um, the the white stuff all over oh. the paste. Um, uh, Macon- uh, no, 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 that's the black. Macon- oh, the black. Um, um, they wipe it all away. Yeah, and, yeah. 
Oh, you, cool. or you people are sitting there listening to this going, it's this, it's yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, so, Vernix, ver, ver, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vernix? Yeah, I think anyway, you're right. Um, so then I, when, the, when my babies were born, and even though I had a quite traumatic birth because they were very fast, I remember saying to my midwife, now this is the beautiful thing about New Zealand, midwives are seen as the lead maternity carers. In Australia, they're still not seen no. as the lead maternity carer, which I think is really sad. And, and I would love to create a movement around honouring what our midwives and the role that they play. In New Zealand, doctors are really happy for midwives to take over because they don't have to turn up at all the births at all different hours of the night. And these women and men are trained to really be the lead maternity carer. And I had a beautiful midwife. And she was the one that said to me, darling, as this baby's born, we're going to put her straight onto your breast. We want all that yummy, yummy stuff all over you and her, or it. We didn't know what we were having. So I'm very grateful, Cindy, that, you know, unfortunately then I got the vitamin K injection. And again, I didn't know much, but I think I was on the cusp. I was, on, I was, I was in that race, so, which is why I'm trying to say to people, don't feel like it's too late because now you'll have an impact with your children. And even if you've got teenagers, you may have an impact with your grandchildren. So don't underestimate the power of knowledge. I, I agree with you. It's like as we learn, we can then teach our girls and boys because the boys are just as important in this. And I think if we were going to sum this all up, as we learn more and as we get more information and as science proves more, we realise that the natural way of doing things is the best. It can't always be possible because there are emergency situations and we are very fortunate to live in this time where we have an unbelievable knowledge about things. We know that we should be doing things naturally. But if there is an emergency, we also have the facilities for emergencies. And that's what's so exciting is that we have this knowledge, we know we should be doing things naturally, eating things naturally, breastfeeding, doing all of this. But just in case things don't go right, we have the knowledge and the, and the services to do things differently. So, for instance, even breastfeeding, um, you know, there's the wet nurse, mm -hmm. and I know a wet nurse. Oh, you do? I do. You know her too. Oh, wow. She's the most amazing wet nurse. She's got enough milk for her baby and another baby, and oh, she usually wow. expresses for this baby. Yeah. But if that baby is around her, she will... I've got a photo of her. She just sent me a photo of it. And does the baby know that the, she well, can yeah, suckle or he can yeah, suckle? Yeah, and happy to suckle because it's the breast milk that she's been getting. Wow. From, from it's Mel, beautiful oh, Mel. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's Mel that's the, the wet nurse as well as doing her own. And she's just, oh. and I, I've got a photo of her with the two babies on either side and she, I can't remember if she's got milking cow or <laughs> I don't know what she sent to me. How beautiful. But, you know, there, there are women out there that are prepared to do this mm. and, and there's one such person. So, um, and we also have milk banks. Remember, we have milk banks, breast um, milk banks, and we, we actually have recipes using natural ingredients in order to mimic as best we can the milk of the mother. We can't do it perfectly because we, we just will never do that. And it's far better than any of the formulas out there. Mm. So look at your options. If um, you can't breastfeed, please look at the options that are out there and, and be tenacious in your options because it can get all too hard. But remember, if you spend that first six months exclusively breastfeeding um, and doing this right, you set your child up for 
a lifetime of health as opposed to a lifetime of chances of obesity and, and you know, like one of the things, yeah, autoimmune. One of the things that we know is that we have leptin receptors. So leptin's the master hormone. It's the one that tells you, you know, it's your fuel gauge, tells you when to eat, when not to eat, along with other hormones, as we talked about earlier. So the breast milk actually sets up the the leptin receptors for the rest of your life and this is the thing is that we didn't know this stuff then we didn't even know about leptin until 1994 so of course the 1960s everybody believed that this powdered junk milk that we call formula was the way to go but it's it's i'm sorry it, it would not even be an option i would do anything but give my babies that powdered milk i don't know of any out there and i'm hoping there are formulations out there but I see, haven't seen any. Yeah, see, I ended up, and again, because of my lack of knowledge, we did goat's milk. There was a goat's milk formula that we used. But looking back, I mean, if I was honest with you now, I've even said it to my children, I wouldn't do it now. And what I've done since then is I went and saw a, a homeopath, and a, she's a medical integrative doctor here in Brisbane, um, holistic, and she gave me homeopathic remedies to give to my children to help me for two years my kids had these drops for two years every day to counteract the vaccinations that they'd received and the formula milks and things that I had done that perhaps I wouldn't, well, not perhaps, I wouldn't do today, but perhaps if I'd known better, I wouldn't have even done them then. So, and you know, as a mum, Cindy, I've had to really work hard on forgiving myself for that because, and I even can get a bit teary thinking about it because I feel like if I'm, if I'd done my children, you know, the worst thing as a mother and a father is to feel you've ever done anything wrong by your children. But that was my way of, of trying to make up for my lack of knowledge. And I have two very healthy, cheeky, full-on teenage children that are very active and very conscious and very aware of their bodies. And I'm, so I'm thankful for what I've learned. Mm-hmm. But, but one of the questions that we had around this, my darling, was, um, and I thought this was interesting because you've already touched on it, you've alluded to it already. She said, what would you recommend to eat to fall pregnant? What would you recommend as your diet while you're pregnant? And what about after for when you're breastfeeding? And you said something very interesting that maybe our listeners picked up on was my diet's the same no matter what yeah. you know it's really good food so just as a pre as a as a reminder just tell us the sort of foods that you eat so that people would know that when they're listening to this okay eat real food but you know a date is a real food if you have too many dates you're going to feel sick and you're going to put on weight so tell me just briefly what does a day in Cindy O'Meara's <laughs> life look like when it comes to eating well if I go back to when I was pregnant because my food is very different now because of the availability and because of what I've learnt. It's still real food, don't get me wrong. So my favourite breakfast was porridge. I would have oatmeal and I would make a mix of tahini, hakia yogurt, which was a a cultured natural yogurt in Melbourne at the time, some honey and a banana. And this was what I had every morning for breakfast. And I would whip that up and then mix it through my, my porridge. And that was just the most sustaining thing that I ate every single morning for, for my breakfast. Now my breakfast um, would include uh, a quinoa. I, I sometimes do quinoa. Other times I'll do eggs uh, or I'll do a green smoothie. And they're all in my recipe books. It's no use me going through them because they'll just take me forever. But they're all in my recipe books. Do you eat meat books. at breakfast? On occasion, I will, like the other morning, I had lettuce and, and leftover lamb shanks. Oh, 
So I will do that. I will do leftovers for breakfast as well. Then back in those days for lunch, uh, I would have sandwiches, but I would make my own bread Mm. and I would have salad sandwiches because didn't eat a lot of meat back then, but I would, yeah, it was a salad sandwich. And then for dinner, it was always meat and veg Mm -hmm. or meat and salad. That's what my husband and I had every single... if you weren't eating meat. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was eating meat by the time I was pregnant. Oh, okay. I didn't eat it like now. Mm. I could eat meat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But in those days, I would eat a small amount of meat Mm. and then vegetables and salad. Mm. Yeah. So then... um, And and what sweets were you eating and things like that? um, Were you a big sugar person? No, I, I don't remember... If I did, I would probably make a carrot cake because mm. that was what we did 25, 30 years ago. You would make a carrot cake or a zucchini cake. I had the Moosewood cookbook. Yeah, I had that book. Yeah, and so I would cook out of the Moosewood cookbook. Actually, I've still got it. And the broccoli and Enchanted yeah, Broccoli Forest. Enchanted Broccoli Forest. So I would I would cook out of those two cookbooks. Dorothy Hall was a, mm-hmm. a real mentor of mine, as was Bernard Jensen. So all of these people were the ones that were my mentors. Mm. And my diet stayed that way up until three years ago. And uh, then I stopped eating bread completely. And um, there's a whole story around that, which we don't need to go into now. But when then I had... What have you replaced that with, though? Like, so, so now tell us today's diet. Like, what do you do today? So at lunch, I would, instead of having a sandwich, I would have salad. Yeah. Yeah. I, with I your just, meat. With my meat. Mm. And, or leftovers or something like that. Mm. Or I may have some fermented cheese mm. uh, with an apple. Something like that. If I'm really in a hurry and I haven't made up something, I'll have some fermented cheese with an apple. So, you know, I, I believe that we should eat the same no matter what. Mm. Um, but having said that, if you're someone who's uh, a female on a ketogenic diet, um, you can have intermittent infertility on a ketogenic diet. You cannot, you know, men and women are very different and everybody's going on these diets of no carbohydrates and I disagree for women especially because we need fat in order to be fertile in order to be um, and I'm talking when I'm talking about fat I'm talking laid down fat fat on our body Mm. in order to be fertile in order for your hormones to work in order to have a healthy baby Mm. so but we're not going to go into that now that's just too much but I think people need to just be aware that your protocol is about resetting recreating an opportunity for the body and gut to heal so that's not the way you'd normally eat forever in a day gosh no 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 no. it's just to reset yeah and um, it's a healing diet that's what it is it's a healing protocol it's not a a protocol that you live on for the rest of your life they're healing protocols then we get into this is how we do the rest of our life Mm. but one of the things that we haven't touched on and we're getting towards the end where we we you know we're up to our hour actually we're probably past our hour as we always do but i i think we need to just quickly discuss what happens after breastfeeding yes so, because yes, that was another question. What do you, what are the first solids that you give a baby? What are the ways that you transition a child into solids? Into solids. So mine, I always did, and I, I can't remember the term that they use in a, like now, but I, I call it interest-based eating. <laughs> right. It was like interest-based learning. It's interest-based e- eating. So I would put food down. If they were starting to sit at six months, which they are, um, although some babies don't, but if they're really if they're sitting well at six months, I would put a food down in front of them um, in the high chair, yeah, and without knives, forks, plates, anything like that, 
and it would be soft so it could be a bit of avocado or it could be I remember putting an orange um, just orange um, um, that was quartered just down so they can't stick the whole thing in their mouth but they can suck on it and what I noticed with my babies is that if they put it into their mouth and they weren't ready to eat they'd spit it back out again but yeah. they'd get the taste of it yes. so they'd go nom, 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 puh, 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 and it would never be swallowed right then I noticed at some point and every baby is different is that they would start to figure out how to swallow it ah. so to me it was putting real foods natural foods not ones that I'd blended or um, cooked or done anything with but just foods that they could pick up and play with and put in their mouth and have a mouth feel with it and if they could swallow it and chomp on it great if they can't I think teeth are a really good indication as to when the digestive juices are starting for food and some teeth come in early and some teeth come in later so my rule of thumb is six months breastfeeding and I know that this is not what everybody else is saying some people are saying we need to start introducing foods earlier but mine is around the six month and then it's all about letting the child figure out how to get the food into their mouth and how to get it down so in the old days you used to shove the the spoon mm. into the mouth and you know keep a, like shove it down their throat almost mm. which I don't think is right mm. so there's there's a whole I forget the name of it it's it's a whole movement now but that was the way that I intuitively instinctively got my babies to eat mm. it was it Whereas was I, and I did the same I started with things like avocado and banana I did things like pumpkin or kumara sweet potato mashed and added breast milk into yeah, it yeah yeah um, and just transition them that way. Farrax was a very big thing around when I was young, but neither of my kids liked it. So I thought that my doctor told me that they should... Oh, yeah, who was it? Yeah, I think the doctor, the, the Plunkett nurse, I think, told me that I needed to start getting them onto Farrax. And then I looked at the ingredients of Farrax. <laughs> I know. And I wasn't sure if that was natural, you know. My, my grandmother actually said, oh, I don't know what that is. Um, and she was the one that told me, you know, mashed avocado and banana. Yeah. And, and, you know, mum even said to me, you know, just go basic. Why do you have to spend money on food like that when it's all here? You yeah. Know? And then what I learned was the more I mashed these food, I made a whole thing. Because often for mums, you're so exhausted, you're tired, you're trying to do everything. I'd make a whole lot and then cube, um, freeze it in ice cubes, yeah. um, including my breast milk. I would freeze in ice cubes so I could use that to add to my baby food as they were transitioning. I fed my babies both on the breast until they were a year. I don't know why I had that in my head yep. to keep going for a year. I, I, yeah, I don't remember thinking at a year's time. And Jacob actually just decided one day he didn't want it anymore. And you, and they do that. Like mm. I know with my oldest and my youngest, they breastfed till, for 18 months. Wow. But Casey became very disinterested about 13 to 14 months. Yeah. And I just thought, well, if you're not interested, there's no point in continuing this. So I, once again, I'm baby-led. Oh, baby-led feeding. Baby That's what it's called. There you go. So I'm led by the baby. Mm. Uh, I'm led by the child because every child is different. And to say that this is what we should be doing... Mm. Um, but it's nice for women who have, who are getting into this and to have a little bit of a guidance as to yeah. to what to do. And I, I was scared, Cindy. Mm. I had this baby and I didn't know what to do with it. I thought when it cried, it just oh, it used to do my. I was I felt such a failure. I don't know if other mothers feel the same, but I felt so useless until I actually quieted down my stupid self talk and actually realised. 
most mothers survive motherhood. <laughs> most babies survive the distraughtness of their mothers. Um, apart from the day I dropped her off the change table, but that's another story. Um, but, you know, you end up thinking, you know, you can do this. And if you're ever worried, the, the plethora of information just by YouTubing, breastfeeding or YouTubing yes. natural baby, baby fed, fed food yeah. baby, baby fed, fed lead. yeah you know you could do that can't you nowadays well you can and um, and I would be you know I would if you're going to YouTube it or Google make sure you look at a couple mm. because there'll be a common thread and you don't want to be to be with a fanatic that does it, but somebody who is looking at the natural way of doing it. Even a bone, you know, oh, like bones nice. I used to give to the kids because they can hang on to a bone. Oh, and, they used to love sucking yeah, on chicken yeah, bones. Yeah, and exactly. Bones or things. Well, big bones. Yeah. You know, big bones you give them that they can't shove down their throat. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Darling, is there any other last advice you'd like to give around um, pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding? Oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, someone asked me, you know, what would I recommend for sore nipples or baby rash oh gosh, and things like talk that. About this. I know, I know, but I'm just going to quickly throw it in. Maybe this is another topic, another day. Um, coconut oil and jojoba oil, anything that was in my kitchen, actually was what I used on my babies. So um, coconut oil was my godsend when it came to nappy rash and nipples, you know, sore nipples and things like that. I've now created a thing called the Healing Skin Boost, which is something that I love to, to help people with with a 28 product, which is great for nappy rash and healing, any of those sorts of things. But all I'd say is if you're going to use essential oils or anything, anything on the body, then just keep the, the nipple clear. And if anything, put the coconut oil on it or just a, a, a nice um, cold-pressed carrier oil just to keep it nice and moist and supple and, yeah. and, and in good hands. Yeah, look, there's so much to talk about. I know. You know, and it would take a book uh, in order to do this because there are so many issues like what do I put on my stomach, you know, to stop stretch marks. Oh, and, rosehip oil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, rosehip oil. I've got a blend coming out shortly, note28.com. <laughs> stretch mark blend coming very shortly for all you pregnant people out there. And should I or shouldn't I take supplements? Well, I, I'm hoping that everybody who has been listening to our podcast understand my take on supplements. It's about real food and, and, and that's why I do my green powder and my colloidal minerals and my probiotics and the coconut oil and the inky inchy it's real foods so um you know and then we didn't talk about i think we've talked in the past about vitamin k and and all the procedures you know all the every time you you make a um a change from nature um, during the birth process this is what they were talking about in microbirth from inductions to all the, the interventions, and 95% of births in Australia are intervened with in some way, 95%. Every time you do that, you, you stop the body's chance of doing the seeding of the microbiome, which is so key to stopping obesity rates, helping children think the right thoughts, having, you know, I, I just, what we know now, and, we, and you know what that makes me think? What else are we going to learn? How I exciting. know, it is what exciting is times. It is. You know, especially with someone like you, Cindy. I'm so grateful. And I know I speak on behalf of Karen and all our beautiful listeners. But 
We just so appreciate the, the knowledge and the, and the passion and the excitement you have around the research for these sorts of things. You are a trailblazer. You are an incredible woman. I feel very blessed to know and I'm very, very grateful that, you know, my children, didn't they, they came in last night and Taylor's first things were at Cindy. I told my, what was she telling about the, the science coke. teacher? The science teacher. Goes, <laughs> what did she say? I walked past um, maths, my maths class and there he is, 25-year-old teacher, standing there and he's drinking a can of Coke. <laughs> And I walked past and went, what did she say? She goes, I walked past and went, oh, that's full of caramel flavouring, which we know is linked to cancers and other things. And then she carried on and she goes, oh, happy cancer. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> She's just like, oh, she my was God. hysterical. She couldn't wait to tell Cindy. I know. Oh, it was beautiful. No, it was just gorgeous. And this is what we teach our babies. And, and they become strong advocates for change. And they then present with new babies coming along. So... Look, it's it's wonderful, and I think our time is up, Kimmy. Yes, my darling. Well, I, we have missed our beautiful Karen again, and we yeah. hope you've. Um, you Actually, know I'm going to interrupt you one more time. Yes. I'm sorry. No, you always so um, beautiful in your uh, graciousness and your questions and your the way you always thank us for being in your life and I just want to thank you for being in my life too. And as and Karen, I just these podcasts have just taught me so much and I love being with you guys it's it, we're a great trio and um we, we bounce off each other and even with Karen not being here it's been I keep going where's Karen where's her little book but you know she would never have been put it into this she would have been yawning in the back she would have been, we would have been getting handwritten notes yeah are we done are yet? we done yet <laughs> Trust us, we she's know. naughty in these yeah. podcasts. And this would not be worth doing with her. So we're sorry she's not here, but it was probably good for all of us. <laughs> so on that note, thank you for thanking me, my darling. And thank you, our beautiful listeners, for, for your amazing feedback. Um, we do look at every comment on Facebook, which is all the W's, Facebook dot com forward slash up for a chat you can post your comments on the wellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat we do look at them and again you can private message us on our facebook page to let us know what you want us to talk about i mean this was a topic and it's this was probably oh, five topics oh, it's huge. Um, but thank you for that beautiful email from you and you know, we also got an email just the other day from a lady, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten your name just this minute. It's not in front of me. From She said she listens to us every week, walking the streets of London. It's her weekly little thing. And I just said to Cindy, can you believe people are listening all around the world to these little chats? I've just driven down to Brisbane. I'm about to go and do a wedding. We're off to a wedding. We're off to a wedding. <laughs> I'm the celebrant. And, you know, this is... You're up for a chat. You're here with us, a fly on the wall. So if you want to get up close and personal, then I know Karen emailed us the other day with regards to our Awaken the Change Within retreat, which is in, in November. I know the VIP seats have sold out, but there are some general seating here in Mooloolaburra on the Sunshine Coast. So if you'd love to come and play with the three of us and, and really interact with us, it is an intense day. There's a lot to learn, a lot to cover. And, and you know what? We'll have a bit of fun at the same time. So just Join us next week on Up for a Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We'll see you on the ride. Hi, it's Damien Christoph here. 2015 marks perhaps the most important event the Wellness Couch has ever conducted. We've had two sold-out wellness summits these last years, but honestly, nothing will come close to our first ever wellness breakthrough. Your favourite Wellness Couch experts, the Up for a Chat girls, 
quirky cooking is Joe Whitten, Stu Hayes, Marcus Pierce, and of course the wellness guys are all gathering in Dandong Ranges for three days and two nights for one incredible event. If you want possibly the greatest peer group in health and wellness to help you catapult your life to the next level, then we'd love to see you at the Wellness Breakthrough in February. For more information, go to www.thewellnesscouch.com. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.